Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download. Tonight on The Readout. The whole thing is ludicrous. To be honest, I don't think they're really into each other. I think it's a publicity stunt, but okay. Um, And she is going to use all of this uh, popularity, potentially, against MAGA and for Democrats. She's got a record of this stuff, a track record. Oh, no, the right is in full meltdown over celebrity it couple Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And with young white women under 30 trending leftward, the MAGA right has a good reason to be concerned. Also tonight, a new investigation reveals that prison labor is behind some of the most popular food products that make their way to your dinner table. Plus, President Biden says he has decided on a response to the deaths of three U.S. soldiers in Jordan. The mother of one of those soldiers, Specialist Brianna Moffat, joins me tonight. But we begin tonight with Donald Trump, the Republican frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination. The party has put all of their chips behind this man, who was found liable for violating E. Jean Carroll physically and for defaming her. He's accused of falsifying records to silence an adult film star he allegedly had an affair with. His company was found guilty of defrauding New York taxpayers. He's accused of stealing American secrets, carting them off to his mansion in Florida, lying about it to the FBI and blabbing about those state secrets to anyone who would listen. He stands accused of fomenting a violent coup to try and overturn the 2020 election. He and his family took in billions of dollars from countries like Saudi Arabia and China while he was president. And if that's not enough, he delivered the death blow to reproductive rights for every woman in America. That is the resume of the likely Republican nominee. To say that this man is at his moment of maximum legal and electoral peril is an understatement. To make the point even more explicit, Donald John Trump is facing serious repercussions, including financial liquidation and potential time behind bars. But RNC chair Donna Ronna Romney McDaniel and VP wannabe Elise Stefanik are circling the wagons around him anyway. According to Jake Sherman of Punchbowl News, Congresswoman Stefanik, a former George W. Bush staffer and Paul Ryan aide, walked into a closed House Republican meeting, waving a Rasmussen poll, which is notoriously right wing leaning, and proclaimed Trump the winner of the nomination and probably the election, despite Nikki Haley still being in the race, stating that all House Republicans should bend the knee to their emperor. These people are so committed to Trump. He's been able to get two of his super PACs funded by donations from his working class fans to pay for his legal defense to the tune of $50 million, according to two sources who spoke with The New York Times. We talk about this every day, but it's not really surprising that everyone within his party is making his reelection their only priority. Congressional Republicans have completely capitulated to him and given up on their primary professional responsibility which is delivering tangible things for an evenly divided America that really did elect Joe Biden in 2020. Yet what have House Republicans accomplished with their majority? Well, they've launched an impeachment inquiry into President Biden and an investigation of his son. They've heard from witnesses behind closed doors who repeatedly told them that Joe Biden did nothing wrong and contradicted the whole premise of their investigation. 
They continue to push their anti-abortion tactics, scrounging for ways to force women in red and blue states to give birth at the state's command, even if they've been victims of incest or rape. And they are all in on scaring their voters about immigration and the southern border, the issue that many say fueled Trump's 2016 election and returned in the 2018 midterms, the 2022 midterms and the upcoming elections in November. For months, House Republicans have insisted that they could only support aid to Ukraine if it was paired with tougher border security. They've accused Biden of not doing enough. And when he called their bluff and agreed to do more, they waffled. Because Donald Trump doesn't want anybody, especially Joe Biden, to sign something that would actually work to solve a problem. Speaker Johnson says that whatever the former president wants, he gets. And that includes a long-promised impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The first time in nearly 150 years that the House will try to remove a member of the president's cabinet. Republicans in the hearing, which is ongoing, are accusing him of dereliction of duty after he spent weeks negotiating a bipartisan immigration deal that House Republicans are rejecting out of hand. Make it make sense, people. Long story short, it's politics. Your own party is sabotaging and undermining this administration's efforts to address the border while you are trying to impeach him by saying that they're not addressing the border. The hypocrisy is the least of it. Your attack on the rule of law and our democracy is the worst of it. And you better be careful about the bed that you make. The Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats, bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them. That is the Donald Trump border plan. This is all about trying to get Donald Trump reelected. I think another saying uh, appropriately describes what's going on here, and that's just shoveling the same old and calling it sugar. And that's not what the people want us to do. Joining me now is Congressman Robert Garcia of California, member of the House Homeland Security and Oversight Committees, and Matthew Dowd, former Republican strategist and MSNBC senior political analyst. Thank you both for being here. Congressman, I will start with you here at the table. I'm going to play you one more soundbite. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene explaining why uh, Secretary Mayorkas must be impeached. The claims aren't baseless. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas has willfully broken federal immigration laws. He's also violated his oath of office. We have a record number of children, migrant children, who are lost in this country. Also, he ended many policies. He's paroling people by the millions en masse into our country. Instead of coming to Congress, we are the lawmakers. We make the laws. Secretary Mayorkas, on his own, has violated federal immigration law. Your thoughts? Have millions of people been paroled into the United States? What is she talking about? I mean, first, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is insane. And uh, this whole impeachment effort is the Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump show. It's been Marjorie Taylor Greene that's actually the one that's filed both the impeachment documents on President Biden and, of course, on, on Secretary Mayorkas. And so this is all because of her. She's pushing this and she's taking Donald Trump's orders. The truth that people forget is that migration has been going up when the Donald Trump presidency started. In the last year of the Donald Trump presidency, migration increased threefold. And that's because of all the crises happening in Venezuela, sure. in Ecuador, across, across the Southern Hemisphere. And so we do have a challenge at the border. Yeah. Democrats do actually want to solve the issue. The president has proposed solutions. But Donald Trump is now saying he doesn't want a bill. 
He doesn't want more he border wants to funding. Run on it. He wants to run on it. He wants to create chaos and dysfunction. Yeah. And we're trying to push back on that. We actually need a solution. He wants none. So you've, you've said that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, is behind the impeachments of President Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas. Let me read you some of the other impeachments. Let me know who's doing these besides those two. Uh, there's uh, apparently the Republicans would like to impeach Kamala Harris. Uh, they would like to impeach, uh, uh, of course, uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, Merrick Garland of the DOJ, they'd like to impeach FBI Director Christopher Wray, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, that's a lot of impeachments. Who's, who is it that wants to impeach this entire group of people? And they want to impeach Taylor Swift, even though she's not in, in the government. If they could. <laughs> they could. Clearly. I mean, look, first of all, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, beha- is behind, like, most of those. But yeah. this is the far-right MAGA wing that's taken over the Republican Party. I mean, they have essentially been given the keys to the entire clown show, and that's Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's Matt Gates, it's Lauren Boebert, who run the show. Mike Johnson has no ability to control his conference. He knows that. He wants to keep the speakership. Yeah. So he's providing these opportunities for them to get crazy. That's what they continue is to do. Is it as simple as Donald Trump is mad that he got impeached twice, so he just wants impeachment attached to Joe Absolutely. Biden somehow? I mean, okay. not only does he want an impeachment for Joe Biden, yeah. he wants to create a real election issue. He wants to win. Everything the Republicans do in the House, including yeah. this impeachment effort against the secretary, is all about helping Donald Trump yeah. and hurting Joe Biden. Uh, Matthew, Dad, let me bring you in here, because you live in Texas. Because the, the other side of this is that one of the strategies apparently that Donald Trump has to try to win is to essentially stoke a war between the state of Texas and the federal government. You've had Republican governors essentially daring the federal government to do what the federal government is authorized by the Constitution to do, which is enforce immigration laws. You've got these you know, barbed wire fences across the Rio Grande because there's water. You can't build a wall. And so they're just putting barbed wire fences. People are drowning in them. They're saying you can't stop people from drowning. Children are drowning. This idea that Donald Trump needs an actual civil war to get reelected. Your thoughts as a Texan? Well, well, first of all, I mean, I mean, one of the things I'm amazed at is this is all being led by people that claim they're Christians. That's actually what's amazing to me. These people that put on the mantle of Christianity, I guess they skipped every single passage in the Bible that talks about how we treat immigrants in the course of this. They just forgot all that and they Mm -hmm. concentrate on part of the Old Testament that they think is applicable to them. I mean, this is Donald Trump. This is his playbook. We've seen this in the history of our country before. Every time something happens, they want to blame it on somebody else. And it's usually pick the other. It was African-Americans for centuries. It was Latinos for centuries. It was Chinese-Americans for decades. It's Now it's just this new band of like, let's blame the immigrants for the problems of our country. And therefore, we're going to identify somebody that doesn't look like us. The thing that I find interesting in this, all these people for pushing for Texas seceding and becoming a separate country, I think are, about, are putting on the pause button because they've realized they may lose their social security checks <laughs> if they do that in the course of this, which is actually like, whoa, wait, wait a sec, maybe we shouldn't do this. I'm going to lose the check I get from the federal government every month in the course of this. But this is, to me, an, an awful poisonous part of our nation's history that Donald Trump has dug back up and given and given power to. And that is aim, the, aim every one of your problems at an immigrant. Yeah. And, and hope, you know, let me play for you because the, the way that it's being described. And first of all, I would love for you to explain, since, you know, you, you, you know, lots of Republicans, why anyone would want to be vice president to Donald Trump when the last vice president, he actually was cool with that guy being hung. But nonetheless, they persist. Uh, here's one of the aspirants to that job, that very dangerous job, Tim Scott. And I, I, I just want you all to listen to the way he described the Trump era and why people like him want to get back to it. You know, 
myself and all the voters that support Donald Trump supports a return to normalcy as it relates to what affects their kitchen table. The average person in our country, Martha, isn't, they're not talking about lawsuits. As a matter of fact, what I have seen, however, is that the perception that the legal system is being weaponized against Donald Trump is actually increasing his poll numbers. So he, he described the Trump era as normalcy, Matthew. And he was being asked if he, why he can support someone who's been adjudicated a sexual assaulter and is, is you know, owes $83.3 million to the person he defamed. Well, I mean, the, the, the fundamental thing problem here is the complete lack of courage by anybody in the Republican Party. They have to twist themselves into pretzels in order to come up with a rationale of why something applies to Joe Biden or the Democrats, but doesn't apply to Donald Trump or the Republicans in the course of this. This is what's amazing to me. And I, I will remind your viewers, Joy, as you know, there are quite a few African-Americans that stood next to George Wallace in the 1960s that he he brought out to say, oh, no, 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 I'm all good. Everything's good. Look at yeah. these guys standing next to me in the course of this. And I think Tim Scott, whether it's conscious or not, I think it's conscious. He's consciously allowing that to happen. And he knows the history of the country. He knows yes. what Donald Trump's intentions are in the course of this. But if without courage, any aspiration for fame and fortune and power, yeah. they think sitting next to Donald Trump's going to get him that. What they haven't realized is that basically all that is taken from them when it doesn't, it's not to Donald Trump's betterment. Indeed. May the ghost of Fannie Lou Hamer haunt him forever. Um, last one to you, uh, Congressman. Um, the governor of Florida used to be a member of Congress. He voted against all sorts of things like Social Security, et cetera. We know who he is. He's tried this experiment of trying to drive immigrants out of his state. It was a disaster for the construction agency. It was a disaster for the agricultural aid, uh, the agricultural business or the construction business and the agricultural business in the state of Florida. Do, do your friends on the other side of the aisle honestly think if you eliminated migrant labor, that that wouldn't devastate the economy in the United States? It would literally be a catastrophic knife in the heart of the economy. These are the people who pick the food, process the food, pluck the chickens, and provide for the American people. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they, they have no idea or clue how much immigrants and people like myself who immigrated to the U.S. as a young kid have contributed to this country. I think about uh, growing up, becoming a citizen. It is hard for immigrants to become U.S. citizens, to become yes. legal residents. And we give back. We become members of Congress, but That's we right. also do the hard work. We're doing exactly that. In agriculture, this country would collapse so without immigrants taking care of what we put on the table every single day. So it's a shame the way they're demonizing immigrants. The fact that Donald Trump is saying that we poison the blood of this country yeah. is so sick, should be turning everyone off. Immigrants contribute greatly, but Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mike Johnson just want to demonize us, and it's going to backfire. Immigrants net start more businesses. Absolutely. Um, are, you know, overrepresented in military service, small business, you name it. And commit less crimes. And commit, commit crimes less at crimes lower rates. Than citizens than do. Than citizens all, do. All true data. Yeah, they, without, this, without them, and as, as a daughter of immigrants myself, this country would collapse. Absolutely. And they don't really want the smoke that they think they want. Uh, Congressman Robert Garcia, Matthew Dowd, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, exposing one of corporate America's dirty little secrets, as we were just talking about. Uh, in addition to using migrant labor that they pay low wages, the use of prison labor to supply some of America's most well-known restaurants, grocery stores, and retail chains. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies. 
including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. No matter what some on the far right want you to believe, America was built on and became an enormously rich nation because of slavery. And when the South lost the Civil War and slavery was abolished, America found a loophole to actually keep forced labor legal. The 13th Amendment states that, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. So no more slavery unless we put you in jail. As the Associated Press notes, the racial makeup of prison populations changed almost overnight after the Civil War. In Tennessee, during slavery, less than 5% of the prisoners were black. In 1866, after emancipation, that number jumped to 52%. And by 1891, it had skyrocketed to 75%, as black codes created increasingly creative reasons to put black men, mostly, but also black women in jail for things like being unemployed. And the country continued to be built by free labor, with major companies like the Tennessee Coal, Iron, and Railroad Company, later bought by U.S. Steel, making fortunes off of it. Fast forward to today, a disproportionate number of those incarcerated are still people of color, and the United States incarcerates more people than in any other country in the world, two million and counting. And now an Associated Press report has found that U.S. prison labor from all sectors has morphed into a multi-billion dollar empire, with goods linked to U.S. prisoners in the supply chains of a dizzying array of products, from Frosted flake cereal and ballpark hot dogs to gold medal flour and Coca-Cola on the shelves of virtually every supermarket in the country. As the AP notes, prisoners are among America's most vulnerable laborers. If they refuse to work, some can jeopardize their chances of parole or face punishment, like being sent to solitary confinement. They're also often excluded from protections guaranteed to almost all other full-time workers, even when they are seriously injured or killed on the job. The AP reached out for comment to the companies identify, it identified as having connections to prison labor, but most did not respond. Cargill acknowledged buying a small fraction of goods from prison farms and said it was in the process of determining appropriate remedial action. McDonald's said it would investigate links to forced labor, with Archer Daniels Midland and General Mills pointing to policies restricting suppliers from forced labor with Whole Foods saying they don't allow the use of prison labor in their products. Commodity trader Bunge said it had sold all facilities using forced labor, and Dairy Farmer said it now has only one member, di- member dairy at a prison. Joining me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, professor at Georgetown School of Law and MSNBC 
legal analyst. Paul, thank you for being here. I'm just going to put back up this list of companies. It's dizzying. It's Cheerios, Burger King, Costco. You go on and on and on. There's almost no company you can think of that's not using this labor. And this is a historic practice. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery other than as punishment for a crime. The Senate Judiciary Committee came up with that language. There's no discussion about why. What we know is that during this time, it was common for convicted criminals to be sentenced to incarceration plus hard labor. The other thing we understand is the economic incentive. The 13th Amendment abolished the free labor that for so long the United States economy depended on. So there had to be some substitute, Mm -hmm. what a great book on this issue calls slavery by another name. And Joy, sometimes the connection is super direct. So Angola, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. goes from being a huge plantation with hundreds of enslaved black people working for free Mm -hmm. to what's now the largest maximum security prison in the country with thousands of mainly black men working not for free in the fields. You start out working for free. Then you get two cents an hour. You can work your way up to 40 cents an hour. It it is. And I think for a lot of people, there's just this seamless, we we get low cost goods and we just take for granted that we like low cost goods, right? If you actually had to pay people a living wage to do what these prisoners are doing, everything you buy would be more expensive because these companies would just pass the costs on to you. Is there anything that people can do to fight back? I mean, we know that there are pushes for reparations, right? For older companies like U.S. Steel and others that enrich themselves off of slave labor. But when a prisoner gets out, Are they entitled to any legal recourse for being used this way? Not at all, because it's constitutional based on the 13th Amendment. There's a project now to get that punishment clause deleted from the 13th Amendment in order to amend part of the Constitution. There has to be a two-thirds vote of the Congress, Mm -hmm. both the House and the Senate, and then three-quarters of the states have to ratify that. Unfortunately, when people propose that in Congress, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. I think what's more practical is that states can require that inmates be paid minimum wage. The average now is less than a dollar an hour. In some states, there are deductions, payroll deductions for things like room and board and court costs. That is what? insane. Yes. So. I- and I know there's some states that are actually trying to remove because some states actually have this language in their state constitution as well. Alabama and some other states have taken it out. Does removing it from a state constitution make any difference at all? It, it certainly makes a symbolic difference. So about 20 states have these uh, punishment clauses in their own state constitutions. A lot of states have gotten rid of those. But the workaround is supposedly these are volunteer positions, but there's nothing like an internship. You know, it's funny because it did give me Ron DeSantis when people say, well, this is good job skills training. No, you're in prison. You don't have a choice. This isn't your choice. You're actually locked up and you have to do this labor or you can end up in solitary. And the ways in which convict leasing in the past was used, black codes included things like vagrancy, speaking in a rude way to a white person. You literally could go to prison for five years, stealing a pig, five years, and then they get your labor for free. It's slavery. It is. And we can look at California where inmates are used to fight wildfires. There was a black woman sentenced for three years. She had three months left. She gets sent to fight fires in Malibu, saving the houses of rich people. 
Uh, she dies on the job, not eligible for workman's compensation for any kind of relief. It's 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 one of those things about the Constitution that, you know, we, we ought to know, but a lot of people don't know. Paul Butler, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And up next, Republicans try to fill the, it's in, it's in quotes, so I know that my producers got me here, blank space left by the bad blood <laughs> between their party and relevant cultural icons with a troubling new conspiracy theory explaining the love story between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Know that I know nothing about what I'm talking about, but I read that because my producers are getting at me with my lack of Taylor Swift knowledge. We'll be right back. <laughs> Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. If you've tuned into any conservative media or scrolled through Elon's ex-Twitter in the past few days, you may have seen the latest conspiracy that has the far right absolutely losing their minds. That there is a secret government operation working to psychologically manipulate the American public into voting Democrat in the next election. And the person at the center of the PSYOP is none other than the global superstar Taylor Swift. This theory has been circulating for months now amid the explosion of Swift's popularity. But it spiraled out of control this weekend after the Kansas City Chiefs won a spot in the Super Bowl, a team that Swift's boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, just so happens to play for. Now, combine Swift's mega influence with the fact that Kelsey has done ads for the Pfizer vaccine and took a knee in support of Colin Kaepernick. And somehow that means their relationship is all just an orchestrated government plot to get Biden reelected. You have people like failed presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy suggesting that the Super Bowl will be rigged to favor an artificially culturally propped up couple who he believes will reveal a major presidential endorsement this fall. And OAN saying this. America's pop star celebrity sweetheart joins forces with the top dog in the NFL playing for the team that's going to the Super Bowl. I mean, let's be real here. This is bread and circuses on steroids. Major League Sports in and of itself is nothing but a psyop. Just imagine for a moment if people were as dedicated to Jesus as they are professional sports. That's not SNL. That was real. Now, none of this should be surprising. Coming from the camp that brought you Pizzagate and the big lie. But it is worth asking, why are they so obsessed with Taylor Swift? It might have something to do with the fact that back in early 2016, Swift was unwittingly made into an icon by the alt-right. White supremacists adopted her as their Aryan goddess, claiming that she secretly espouses far-right beliefs and was just waiting for Donald Trump to get elected to make her true views known, which didn't happen. It was actually quite the opposite. 
It was in 2018 when Swift first delved into politics, endorsing two Democrats in Tennessee, including the opponent of then-Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn, a moment she talked about in her Netflix documentary, Miss Americana, saying she has to be on the right side of history. And she didn't stop there. In 2019, Swift wholly denounced her alt-right fan base, telling Rolling Stone, there's literally nothing worse than white supremacy. It's repulsive. There should be no place for it. And in 2020, she lashed out at Trump for his rhetoric against protesters following the killing of George Floyd, tweeting that Trump has been stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism his entire presidency. And not too long after, she endorsed Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Since then, she has encouraged her massive fan base to vote, forming a partnership with Vote.org, which registered more than 35,000 voters after Swift posted on social media in September. And we all know there's nothing that scares Republicans more than eligible voters actually voting in elections. But now, ahead of another likely Trump versus Biden election, conservatives are throwing anything at the wall to justify their hatred of Swift. Fox seems to hate her so much that they even admitted climate change is real. And Newsmax host Greg Kelly said this about her fan base. They're elevating her to an idol, idolatry. This is a little bit what idolatry I think, looks like, and you're not supposed to do that. In fact, if you look it up in the Bible, it's a sin. Ha! It's rich, coming from the party that has basically worshipped Donald Trump as the second coming. Let's not forget that just a couple of weeks ago, Trump was playing a video before his Iowa rallies called God Made Trump that likens him to Jesus. But perhaps what's really behind the right's panic is simple. They're jealous. The Republican Party has completely lost its grip on American culture. For years now, all the big celebrities, Bruce Springsteen, Beyonce, Jay-Z, have all thrown their support behind Democrats, election after election, while MAGA is stuck with people like Vanilla Ice and one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Does it even matter which one? Just listen to what alt-right activist Jack Prosobiec said about it today. We don't have a Taylor Swift on our side, but you know who we have? We have Kid Rock, we have Ted Nugent, we have influencers. Ah, yes, I'm sure Kid Rock will really rally the base. But there's also another more pragmatic reason that they are so scared of the Swift effect. And we'll tell you about that next. There's been months of buildup. I can't stop crying. We are ready for it. And now it's time. The Taylor Swift Eras Tour is here. MetLife Stadium sold out for three straight nights this weekend. And this is the most amazing experience of my life. (laughs) Just a taste of the passion of Taylor Swift's most ardent fans and a reminder of why MAGA world is melting down with conspiracies that she's a psyop to get out the vote for Joe Biden. And they have reason to be concerned, frankly. Before the start of her tour last year, a survey of self-proclaimed avid fans found that most were women and suburban and millennial and white. In other words, a lot like Taylor Swift herself. She grew up in suburban Philadelphia before moving to Nashville, Tennessee. In the 2022 midterms, white women overall skewed Republican. But a Brookings analysis found a generation gap. A majority of younger white women, 18 to 44, millennials and Gen Z, preferred Democrats in 2022, while their older counterparts heavily went Republican. With abortion rights on the ballot again this year, younger women of all races are poised to heavily sway the election. And Taylor Swift could make the Republicans' young woman problem even worse. We already know how she feels about the end of abortion rights in America. 
The day the Supreme Court overturned Roe, Swift tweeted a message from former First Lady Michelle Obama and told her 100 million followers that she was absolutely terrified that this is where we are. Joining me now is Cornell Belcher, Democratic strategist, pollster, and MSNBC political analyst. Cornell, thank you for being here. Uh, and I don't know if you're a Taylor Swift fan, but I know that you know elections. And the, to me, the the kind of last pin that could fall for Republicans among you know, white voters, it's young voters. That's the group that is trending away from them. Is that the reason for their fear? Young white women turning away from them? Well, I'm going to prove I'm a Taylor Swift fan. And I'm going to say that they, they need to shake it off, Joy. They need to shake <laughs> it off. <laughs> uh, I don't but, know any Taylor Swift songs. So I, I literally just have to say, I, I, I accept that whatever you said is going to make her fan base super happy. I'm out of the demo. <laughs> yes, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty popular Taylor Swift song. Uh, Got it. That, 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 that said, look, that you, what you, what you, what you hit on is in fact, the trend line that is most problematic for, for, for Republicans is, is they are increasingly losing younger white voters in the suburbs. And if you add education onto that layer, so the higher education, the higher higher education, the, the, the younger uh, these white voters are, the more they are rejecting Republicans. But look, it, it is it is about the issues. In the end, they shouldn't be mad at Taylor Swift and younger <laughs> white voters. They should be mad at themselves for having all these issues that go against where they are from, from choice to the environment to the minimum wage. You know, issue after issue after issue, these younger voters are making uh, are, are, are choosing, in fact, the party that they see more aligned with their side. And, and the other thing I, I do have to say about this, it is they are losing the cultural wars, uh, Joy. And that's part and partial of the problem. It, it, you know, them hating on and attacking uh, Taylor Swift as someone who, quite frankly, is one of the most popular young people in the country, someone whose tour, you know, crossed a billion dollars. In the world. Yeah. yeah. Her. Her and Beyonce represent something that I think shakes them at their foundation, right? These young, powerful, independent women yeah. with, with, with great influence, right? And I think it's something that shakes them to their to their core. So they're afraid of these young, powerful, influential uh, young women. But these young women, the Taylor Swift and the Beyonce's of the world, they are going to change the world. They're going to speak out against what they don't feel is right. And of course, they're going to use their influence to, 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 change, to change the world. I mean, the thing about it is and when you, uh, you know, I really respect the fact that, you know, there is a there was a time when people who were popular pop stars wouldn't even delve into politics. Taylor Swift is unafraid. Like she's, you know, felt badly about not really coming out in 2016 and saying anything with the alt-right was making her their, you know, white nationalist goddess. And she was like, no, 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 I'm not down with that. These are young women who are espousing what, you know, the right is terrified of these feminist principles. She is her own woman. She's a boss. Like you said, a billion dollar uh, woman between her and Beyonce. They're $1.5 billion. Throw in Barbie. That was a billion dollar movie. It is in a way in the aftermath of Roe, kind of the year of the woman. And if young women, who of course they don't want to lose their bodily autonomy and be slaves to the state, if she is their avatar, like you said, that's not her fault. That's their fault. Well, and, and listen, I, I do think if these young women didn't feel so threatened by yes. the extreme right and their and and sort of losing their rights, losing their autonomy, they wouldn't be speaking out. Look, I, I don't think that this is a different brand so much of of young of young uh, women in the, in the spotlight than we had a generation or two generations ago. I just think the threat 
for them and their rights that Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans present is just different and is and is and is realer than it was. I had to yeah. say, but it's realer than it was in in the '90s and '80s. Let's talk really quickly on the other side. So, so Biden is having challenges too with his base. There's a lot. I feel like every four years we get the black men are going to turn on the Democrats and the same 11 percent vote for Republicans. And then the media loves this story. But how seriously should the Democrats take the challenges? Because black men actually do have some concerns that are legitimate and they should be heard. How much of a peril uh, is, are, are black men's sort of feelings toward the Democrats for Democrats and Biden in November? Joey, this is a conversation that, that I wish we had an hour to d- dive into because there's so much. Let's do it. There's so, there's so much foolishness to, to unpack here. I, as a black man, am, am quite frankly offended that all these stories that are coming out right now talking about how black men are breaking, breaking, breaking Republican. The man who is who is attacked, you know, <laughs> who's attacked black people and brown people at every turn. The man who has. Uh, who has been as racist and divisive as any we've ever seen, all of a sudden is going to win more black votes than than Bush, than than Reagan, than any of these other Republicans. It is actually insulting to, 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 to black men. Now, that said, to your point, it is the, the same. If you go back over four decades, the, the, the percentage of black men voting Republicans actually, and I, and I actually tweeted about this last month, been actually fairly consistent. And, yeah. the, and the truth of the matter is, while they keep trying to sort of separate black men from black women, I have a problem with that, is that black men actually vote more in line with, with their women than almost any other demo, than almost any other demographic group. Now, that said, do Biden, does Biden have to do work for, for African-American votes? Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. He has to bring them back in line. If you look at where Biden is most off, he's not most off with 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 white voters and and suburban voters or college educated white voters. He's off 20, 30 points among among his base voters. When you look at these That's young, right. back to Taylor Swift, when you look at these young voters, when yeah. you look at Latino voters and you look at African-American voters, that's yeah. where he, he gotta, he's got to make up the most and, and ground. And you got to earn votes every single time, every time you run, every time. Cornell Belcher, thank you. We're going to do this conversation again. We, we, we'll, I don't know if we can get an hour. We'll try. Uh, thank you very much, my brother. Appreciate you. I will be joined uh, next by the parents of Sergeant Brianna Moffitt, one of the soldiers who lost their lives in this weekend's drone strike in Jordan. Uh, you won't want to miss that conversation. We'll be right back. Today, President Biden made it clear he holds Iran responsible for the drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers at a base in Jordan. Yes. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. We'll, we'll have that discussion. Along with the soldier deaths, more than 40 other service members were injured following an un, an uncrewed aerial system attack at a military base near the Syrian border. Officials say U.S. forces may have mistaken an enemy drone for an American one, letting it pass unchallenged into the desert base. The three soldiers killed are Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Specialist Brianna Moffitt, all from Georgia. Late today, the U.S. Army Reserve announced the posthumous promotion of Specialist Kennedy Sanders and Specialist Brianna Moffitt to the rank of sergeant in recognition of their exceptional courage, dedication, and leadership. Joining me now are Francine and Purcell Moffitt, the parents of Sergeant Brianna Moffitt. Um, 
Francine and Purcell Moffitt, thank you both for being here. And my deepest, deepest condolences and uh, condolences on behalf of the show. Uh, I want to start, of course, uh, let me start with you, um, Francine. Um, So I know from my producer, uh, looking at your background, that you actually were the first woman in your family uh, to join the United States military. You served as well. And your daughter was the second. Um, Tell us about your daughter and what inspired her other than yourself to serve? You know, she's always had her own opinion and she's just always an amazing person. You know, she was in ROTC in high school and her mentors was, you know, Sergeant Jefferson and um, Colonel Bastille. And she always looked up to them too, as well um, as, you know, mentor and wanted to inspire to go into the military as well with them being her mentor. And what was her uh, dream, her goal long-term? Um, well, she, after this tour, she wanted to do one more um, re-enlistment so she could become sergeant. And yeah. then her long-term, she was uh, wanted to do um, medical. She wanted to go into the medical field, and she also wanted to do real estate part-time. Yeah. And Dad, uh, Mr. Purcell, can you tell us something um, that you would want the world to know about your daughter? That she was, she was a great person, great person. Uh, she was kind. She loved music. She really loved music. That's why we want people to know that she loved music. She really liked drums. Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you, Mrs. Moffat, um, and I hate to bring this to you, but a a, the, a congressman from your state, um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I apologize for even having to ask you this question, but she has trying to speak for your daughter. And saying that your daughter and the other two brave troops who died would have preferred to be at the southern border rather than doing what they're doing. What is your response to that? No one, no one could speak for my daughter other than me, her dad or her siblings. So we 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 just don't want anybody to tell her story because Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't know her. No, we know her. We know she she may rather have been where she was. She may not want to be at the southern border. I can't answer that question. Neither can Marjorie Taylor Greene. So she can't speak for her. Mr. Moffat, you sounded like you wanted to say something as well. I agree with everything my wife said. It's about my daughter and don't use my daughter. Yeah. What would you what do you hope happens next? There, There is a lot of fear that there will be an escalation because of this. There are 40 injured soldiers. Uh, we're waiting to find out what the president will do. Mrs. Moffat, what do you hope happens in terms of the Middle East at this point? I. I, I, I guess I don't really have a real opinion, but I'm in very support of President Biden whatever he think is best. Yes. You agree, Mr. Moffat? Yeah. Yes, we agree. And I'll, and I'll just ask you, Mrs. Moffat, in addition to that, I mean, there is this thing where, you know, people like your daughter uh, and the other two troops, you know, they, they represent what the force is, you know, brave young people, disproportionately black and brown, who are serving their country, who love their service. And, you know, what do you want people to understand about what drives these young people to do what they do? And because you did it as well. I did. And it's, we want to see women 
in the military because the one thing about me, I've never liked when people walk up to us, my husband and I, and they always just assume that it was my husband. Women can serve in the military too. We can have power just as much as men can have power. We can be just as strong as men. We can do the same thing. Yeah. And so just let them know that brown women, we are resilient. We can, we can serve as well. We are the same period. Indeed. And we are all so proud of your daughter, of your family, of your service. Um, And we are so sorry for your sacrifice. But thank you for your service, uh, Mrs. Moffitt. Thank you both for being here tonight. And God bless you and our condolences. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that is tonight's readout. Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.